Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Brothers and sisters, family, how you doing? You know, I say that to remind myself that this is not a performance, that I'm talking to my family, my brothers and sisters. It helps with my nerves, so thank you. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, hey, I just want to reiterate, um, I'm so thankful for all the volunteers that we had during this week. It was a busy week for us. Um, you know, we, we were out there, uh, like, like Nate was saying, we, we worked with, we partnered with a, an organization called uh, Hope Force International, and it was just a godsend. Uh, I, somebody gave me a guy's number, and, and it just worked out that we could come alongside them and support them. Very professional organization. They, build, they, they put the tarps on the roof, but it's not like they just go up there and slap something on. They do exact measurements, and, and their whole, it's all according to FEMA standards. And so these roofs are going to last for at least a year for those that we're helping out. So we're, the, the, the point is, is, what I'm trying to make is, is we're being efficient with what we're doing. We're being effective. We're not just going out there and doing something. We're coming up with a plan. And, and, and so I want to encourage you, if you haven't already uh, joined us, uh, serving our community. There's still opportunity. We're going to be looking for more work this week, and it's going to be effective. It's going to be efficient. We're not just going to go out there and, and do stuff, but those, those roofs that we're putting on, and, and even when we're just doing groundwork, what we're calling groundwork, meaning we're, no, we're not on the roof, um, we're looking for opportunities to pray with others and, and really let them know that it's because of Jesus that we're here, right? That's what the church is supposed to look like. So uh, I just thank you all who, are, who already have volunteered. If you can't volunteer, don't feel guilty. If you have work, you've got to go and support your family. I get it. Just pray for us. You know, take time in your day to pray that God would allow those opportunities for us to be the light to our community, to show them, hey, we're not here just because we're good people. In fact, we're not good people. We're here because of Jesus and what he's done in our lives. So pray for us in that. Join us in prayer, and you can, you can be a part of what we're doing as well. Okay? Um, so to, the title of today's message is, and, and I came up with this, actually, I realized after I had been working, I've really been working on this message for a couple weeks now, and, um, but it's called Forever Faith, and I was, it just, God gave it to me. And, and what I mean by forever faith is, is um, you know, God is the one who gives us faith, and he continues to give us faith, and continues to increase our faith, but we want a forever faith. Really what I'm saying is, and we've all heard the eternal perspective, Right? What we want is that eternal perspective. That's what we need so we don't fail our families and we don't respond to our children in anger. We don't respond to our neighbor in anger. We don't, um, we don't fail in, in every circumstance in our lives. It doesn't depend on us, and that's what I'm getting at, is, is it doesn't depend on us, but it depends on us depending on God. Does that make sense? And so forever faith is, is the title of today's message. And we're continuing on our, our Christmas series called The Promised Messiah. And we've learned that the Christmas story didn't start with Matthew, right? It didn't start with the, with the New Testament. It started way back in Genesis 3.15. And, and, and then last week we learned that um, we learned that we can, we, through Abraham, we're called to trusting obedience. And we think about it, the Christmas story is nothing more than God sending his son to redeem his people. And, and today is another episode in that story. And we're in 1 Chronicles 17. 1 Chronicles 17 is our, is our reading today. And the, the idea or the ideas that God gave me uh, about this passage is, is that God has a plan. You could trust that. 
God's not just shooting from the hip. He has an eternal plan. He's very precise with the way he does things. And he has communicated that plan to his people. And we're going to learn today that he's done it in, in, in several different ways. And, and I get to uh, actually do a, a little teaching here on some parts of the Old Testament that we might have skipped over and might not. And I'm hoping that I can marry the new and the old for you and show you and get you excited about reading your Bible and reading the Old Testament Testament specifically. So God has a plan. God has communicated his plan. And God's plan, of course, includes us. It includes us. And so if you want to, or if, if you will, not if you want to, would you please open up your Bibles to First Chronicles 17. We're going to read the first 15 verses. I'm just going to read them all at once. Um, we're going to soak that in. And then we're going to break it down little by little. Uh, right about verse 2 or 3, we're going to kind of take a rabbit trail off that teaching that I was referring to, um, and, and we're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant a little bit, and then we're going to bring, bring it right back to what God told David, all right? And so that's going to be our kind of our, our, our plan for where we're going on our journey today. So in First Chronicles 17, now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, It is not you who will build a house for me to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but have gone from tent to tent, and from dwelling to dwelling, in all places where I have moved with all Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? We're in verse 7. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be a prince over my people, Israel. And I have been, and I have been with you every, wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name, like a name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them. And they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more. As formerly, from the, from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies, moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. Remember that. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm in him my house and my, in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all the vi this vision Nathan spoke to David. So here's our, our text for today. And of course, this is David, King David. Uh, he's, he's kind of in a, a place where the, he's, he's getting comfortable as king over Israel. He's, he's starting to establish his reign in Israel. And in, 
I can understand why, like, I can, th- I can see myself as David being like, all right, I've got this house of cedar. Well, first off, the house of cedar doesn't sound too appealing for us sitting in here right now. We're like, we, we think of mothballs, right? I think of like those little cedar planks you put in your closet. But that's not what David is saying. See, wood in this time was, was pretty scarce. And it, it still is in that area. I mean, if you have a house made of wood, you're kind of a big deal. And so here's David saying, I, I live in this luxurious house, but yet God, Yahweh, his, the place where we meet him at is in a tent. And I can see how he's like, man, that's, that just doesn't seem right. That doesn't fit. And so it's a good thing that David wanted to build God a house. And I'm not, don't, in this message, I'm not dogging, I'm not you know, picking on David at all. Um, that's, not, that's not the point here. I want, what I want us to do is identify with his human nature and the mistakes that he made so that we might learn from him, right? That's what the Bible's all about, is, is allowing us to, to live more righteous lives uh, in our lives so that others can see God, others can see Jesus. So uh, if we can, we, can we go ahead and insert a, a picture of the, the, the tabernacle here? And uh, there we go. So this is what David was talking about. This is where God was. This is where they would meet God. Uh, but yet David lived in a, a palace made of, of cedar. And the Ark of the Covenant was housed in this tent since the days of the people, they were nomadic, right? We know that before this, before they entered the land, they actually, um, they were in the desert for 40 years. Of course, that was for punishment. But imagine, see all that furniture? See the tent and the walls? And all that stuff had to be packed up every time they moved. And there were certain people that were, that were given that task of doing that. And I know that had to be painful for them. Um, I've broken down base camp before and had to move down the road, and that's a logistical nightmare. It really is. Uh, but they, I'm sure they got good at it. But the tent and its furniture and the ark itself were sort of a package deal is the point I'm getting at. And, and they would pack that up and, and move it every time they had to move. Um, look, let's look at verse 2 real quick. Look at verse 2. This says, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. So Nathan gave David permission to, to, to build the temple, to go from this to be a hard structure. Um, and it was David's idea, although a righteous one, I just, it, it wasn't what the Lord was telling him to do. The point is, is we can get it wrong even when our intentions are good. Even when everything looks like this is, this is a good thing for me to do. But my question is, have I asked counsel from the Lord? Have I sought the Lord in those things? Have I, have I prayed about doing this thing that I think is good? Or am I just going with my own ideas? Remember, the life of a, of a Jesus follower is one that's constantly in communion with him, hand-in-hand hand with Jesus, never getting ahead of him, never getting behind him. This is the life of a, a spirit-filled life, right? We have his Holy Spirit to guide us in life. And so my question to you today, and I know it's a little early for questions, but my question for you today, and this is for me too, are there times in your life where you thought you were doing the right thing, but you ended up hurting someone? You ended up hurting someone close to you. Are there times in your life when you thought you were doing the right thing, but you really just came in and messed up the whole situation? I know the answer is yes for me. Second question is, did you learn from that? Did you, did you take that to the Lord? Have you talked to the Lord about those? You might, whatever came into your mind right now, because I know every one of us in here has one of those moments. Have you gone to the Lord with that and said, Lord, what did I do? What, what did I do wrong? And I'm sorry, I apologize for not taking your counsel on this. Will you help me, guard me, put guardrails up in my life so I won't waste your time and my time 
and the resources you've given me. I've got so many stories. I, I, I'm tempted to share one, but I've got so many stories of me messing things up. And they were good things, but that wasn't what the Lord was calling me to do. So I think even better, the thing that we could do is getting in the habit of recognizing our failures and bringing them to the Lord. Not just skipping past those things, those times where we missed it. Let's, let's really go to the Lord and let's repent. Yeah, that's really what we're called to do is saying, God, you know, I, I, I wasted your time. I wasted your resources and I repent for it. But the difficulty is, is that our voice tends to be the loudest voice in our head. Our voice tends to override that small, that, that still, patient voice of the Lord. And we get impatient. We just move. And we go forward. That's what David wanted to do. He wanted to, to build the temple. He wanted to move. But Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us what? The heart is deceitful. Above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? David's son, Solomon, he actually elaborates on this in Proverbs 21, 2. He says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord weighs his heart. So the Lord didn't ask David to build the temple. I think that's pretty obvious in the following verses. He had a plan for that. He had a plan for the temple. It will be built. It will be built by Solomon. Um, so point number one, God has a plan. See, if we apply this lesson in our lives, it would be a lot less, lot less painful for us. And we would be more efficient in our kingdom-building efforts, meaning God gets more glory. And that's what we're all striving for, right? As Jesus followers, we just want to bring light to Jesus. We don't want to be the superstar. We don't want to be the one that's, that's shining. And I think, if we're being honest, a lot of times when we just move forward in doing those good things, a lot of times it's me trying to get glory, steal his glory. And so as we, as we pray, as we ask the Lord, what would you have us do? Now we, we do the most efficient thing, and we bring God more glory. So the application, before making decisions, and I think I've, I've hit this already. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself and all over the place, like I usually am. Y'all are used to it. Y'all are my family. But the application is, 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 that, is that we should seek the Lord's counsel. He wants to speak to us. He does. That, that's apparent. God wants to speak to his children, each one of us individually, but we have to take the time to listen. There's another lesson here, though. What did Nathan say? What did Nathan tell David? He said, go ahead, right? He said, do, do it. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. This is the prophet of the Lord. Nathan is holding the office of prophet. I think the lesson here, brothers and sisters, is that those in service and ministry, they're going to get it wrong, too. I'm going to get it wrong, y'all. I'm going to mess up. Let's have grace with one another, especially those in leadership. Pray for those in leadership. There, there's, nothing, uh, there's nothing special uh, about them except that they have the anointing of God on them. But that doesn't mean they can't make mistakes. And so let's have grace uh, with one another, especially when we're doing Jesus' business. And if we're honest, all business that we're conducting is Jesus' business. It should be. Right? Romans 14.23 tells us, tells us that for whatever does not proceed from faith is what? It's sin. So whatever we do in our lives that does not proceed from our faith is sin. Let that sink in. Whatever you do that does not proceed from faith is sin. That's a, that's a big deal. That hit, that hit home to me this week as I was, as I was studying this. What, what we should be doing is introducing the holy into the mundane in our lives. See, we think we had these mundane things, 
and they're separate from our holy things, right? Going to church, doing Bible study, those are all good things. But what we want is those things to bleed over into the mundane. When we go to work, we want to bring Jesus with us. When we go to the grocery store, we want to bring Jesus with us. Wherever we go, we're bringing Jesus with us. Everything we're doing is his business. That's what we want. That's the place where we want to get. And we find that God had a plan. God had a plan with building his temple. We found out in in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 3, it's because of the blood on David's hands, God was not going to allow him to build that temple. And, And he was unfit for the construction of, and David uses this specific terminology or the, the, the writer of First Chronicles uses this terminology, of his footstool. He says, you cannot build the temple for my footstool. And so I want to hone in on that. I want to hone in on that. This is how David refers to the Ark of the Covenant, God's footstool. Because I think what has been communicated about this box, this golden box, is that this is where God was in, right? God was in that box, and if you open it up, you, all kinds of scary stuff happen. You guys have probably have images of, of, of Raiders of the Lost Ark running through your mind right now, right? <laughs> I know I did. But and here's the second point, and we're going to rabbit trail a little bit. Here's where we go off a little bit from our, our text, but I promise you it's all going to be biblical, and I think you're going to benefit from this teaching today. God has communicated his plan, and he's done it in the Old Testament, and he ties it in with the New. And so let's go ahead and bring that picture of the Ark of the Covenant back up. See, the Ark of the Covenant was the centerpiece of, of, of everything, of this whole setup right here. So we have all the furniture for that, and we have the tent, which is called the holy place, and we have the outer courts, which is the, the, the fence that, that surrounds that. But you notice there's only one way in, and then there's a door to the tent, and we're going to talk about that just a little bit. We're going to talk about what all this is. So this is all found, the, the setup for this is all found in Exodus chapters 25 and 27. I encourage you to go read that because it all points to Jesus and you're about to see that right now. First off, the, the box that was in there was not just a box that God was in. It was where God met with man. It was his footstool. So it's not, it's not we don't open it up and get the spirit of God all over us. No, it's It was his footstool where he met with man. He was seated on his throne in the heavens. And this is where the priests would come in after a whole ordeal, by the way, like a ritual uh, cleansing and all this ordeal. And then he would finally get to go into the Holy of Holies and meet with the creator of the universe. It was an interdimensional thing, right? Whatever whatever that is, that, that, that place where God is right now, meeting with our physical world, God is spirit, and here man could meet with God's spirit face to face. Who knew that 16th century B.C. Hebrews discovered interdimensional travel? That box that such a big deal was made about was only a footstool. It was only a footstool. This was the place where two worlds literally collide. This was the place where behind the veil, inside the tent, the creator of everything would meet with his creation. First off, that tells you that's a loving God. He wants to meet with us. That's what God's communicating. Is he wants to make a way to meet with us, even with our sin. And the Hebrews, they had to go through this blood sacrifice all the time, every time, multiple times a year, so that they might enter into the presence of the Almighty. The ground 
was sacred. They considered that ground holy ground. Holy ground, sacred ground, unapproachable. Nothing gets through that gate that did not line up with God's ways. And speaking of the way, you see that, that gate that's around the whole thing? You notice there's, it's, a fabric, it's a fabric door here, right? Later on, the temple would be a hard structure. But that was called that first gate, if you will. I'm going I'm to use the word gate here as like an access point. So don't, don't get confused. I'm just saying gate is an access point because there's three access points that one must go through in order to enter into the presence of the Almighty. That first gate was called the way. That's how the rabbinic uh, teachers would call it. That, that first little cloth that you had to enter into was called the way by the rabbis. This gate ensures that one approaching with intent to invade sacred space must first pass by the altar. You notice if you go through the way, you have to pass by that box right there in the middle, right? And that box is where sacrifice was conducted. One that entered into the way was reminded of the sacrifice that was required before you go meet with your creator. Go meet with Yahweh. You see where I'm going here? What I'm saying is if you desire to enter into the presence of the Almighty, it's not religious service you must do. You must take care of your sin problem. See, the blood that they shed with, with bulls and goats and, and, and different animals, it was never meant to fully take care of the sin problem. It was a mere shadow to point to Jesus, the living sacrifice, the perfect lamb, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what it was meant to point to. In fact, in, in Hebrews 10.4 it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This ritual was always meant to point to the one who could say, It is finished. And that's our King Jesus. Jesus is our way. But we're not done yet. Because once you got into the, to the first gate, now you must enter into that, that tent there in the back. And that tent was called the holy place. It was the, there was a door to the, to the tabernacle proper. It led from the outer court into the holy place. Once one had been made clean, he is now free to enter in and to worship in the tabernacle. To worship in the presence of the Lord. And in rabbinical tradition... The entrance to the holy place, that, that entrance to that tent, was called the truth. It was called the truth. But now you got it, you're in the truth. Now you've entered the truth, and you're inside the tabernacle, inside what would later be the temple proper. And there was a third place that you had to enter in. There was a veil. We all know the story. When Jesus was crucified, what happened to that veil? It was torn from top to bottom, right? And that third, that third gate... That third gate where you go from the holy place into the holy of holies. Now you're getting serious. Now you're going to be face to face with the creator. You should have a right fear. You should understand all the rituals that took place in order for the, to make that happen. You enter in. That, that gate, you enter in. You enter in and you meet with, face to face with the author of life. The author of life. Inside this veil is where Moses would meet God face to face. Through this veil, one would come face to face with the author of life. So we have the way, we have the truth, and we have the life. I think some of you have already put that together. I see smiling faces. I love, this is my favorite part. When, when I get to teach the Bible, I love looking across the room and seeing light bulbs and being like, wow, that's really good. And that's what I'm hearing from your, from your facial expressions, because it is really good. Because God communicates his plan. From the old to the new, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Now that's a verse to memorize. You see what God did there? You see what he did there? He gave us a shadow of things to come, a look into how he operates and communicates to his people, and a proof of his grace all in one verse. God spoke to the generation who built this temple, right? They built all these things and then later on built the temple. He spoke to that generation in a certain way. And then his son later used the way they constructed this for proof of an existence of the fact that he is the one that completes all this. He is the one that takes, all, takes place of all this. Turn, in, turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Don't worry. I'm only doing this a couple times. This is not going to be a sword drill. In verse 14, Isaiah 7, 14. This was always God's plan. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and and shall call his name Emmanuel. God's plan was always that his children, without regulation, without gates to pass through, without religious activity, would be able to commune, would be able to be God is with us. Now, that doesn't mean that we throw all this away because this, again, is a shadow of what we have to go through. We must enter into the way. We must come through Jesus. And coming through Jesus must remind us of the sacrifice that's required for us to be in communion eternally with God. So all this is important to us, too. We can't just throw it away. It's our heritage. It's where we come from. This is what God's people must understand. It's, it's so cool to me. The plan has always been God is with us. And as we read today and future generations, we see the consistency and the reliability of his word. God has found a way to reach all men. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2.4. And I, I mentioned that this, this passage in John 14.6 is, is a, a, a picture of grace as well because he made a way, this is, this is some difficult stuff, right? This is a lot of stuff to go through just to talk to God. But he made a way, he made it possible for man to reach him if he desires, and it just got a lot simpler. It's one key, one key that opens all the locks. It puts all the work on the one who already completed the work. But it does require one thing from us, faith. It requires faith. Actually, it may require more faith than, than our brothers and sisters that lived in this time period. It may require more faith than, than the disciples that walked amongst Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this is why we read our Bibles and this is why we read our Old Testament and learn these things. Because it encourages us. The testimonies of God. How we got here. God has a plan. God has communicated his plan. And God intends for us to be a part of it. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you just said a simple prayer and said, God, would you give me more faith? Because it doesn't come from us. If my faith is increased, it has nothing to do with me. It comes from the Lord. So when's the last time you sit down and you say, God, just give me more faith? I need more faith so I won't fail in this situation, in that situation. Give me more faith so I will stand up for you and be bold and proclaim the gospel to others. Give me more faith, Lord. It's a lack of faith doubt, unbelief, 
that is the root of many a sin. It's a lack of faith that, that causes us to stumble. If you really boil it down, it really, that is really true. So my role right now, as I see it, is to encourage you to draw closer to the Lord. That's, what I, that's why I feel I'm here today, and it's an honor to do that. I really mean that. I, I, brothers and sisters, I love the opportunity to draw you closer to the Lord. And it's our role together to encourage one another, build each other up. So if I have your attention right now, I'm going to take advantage of it. Before we go out there amongst wolves, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to increase our faith. Father God, would you increase our faith? Lord, would you drive us to love and good works? It's not from us. We're not asking for more religious activity. We're asking for more efficient activity that comes from your word, that comes from what you say. Lord, protect us from those things that we think are good intended. Protect us from our own good intentions, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's look at um, what God said to David. Let's just break that down real quick a little bit. Uh, we're starting in verse 4 and 5. Let's read verse 5. It says, For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. And what I really think God is saying here is, is David, this was your idea, not mine. He summarizes this, this thought here, what God is saying to David, because he's, he's giving him a testimony how they got here. He's reminding him that it wasn't any man's doing. It was always God leading them in the direction that they were going. But in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than, than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, this is God telling us, hey, calm down. A little humility is required here. I know you've got good ideas, but let's, let's run them by me first because I've got a plan and I've communicated my plan. In verse 7, uh, back to our text here in 1 Chronicles 17, verse 7 says, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be a prince over my people Israel. What God is doing, he's reminding him of how he got there. It wasn't David's hard work. It wasn't David's ability. It wasn't David's courage that even got him there. Now, he, we could see in, 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 in David's story, he was a very courageous man. He believed in Yahweh. He was a true believer. He was the real deal. But what God is reminding him is, don't forget how you got here. A less righteous way to put it, and kind of in my own words, is, boy... I pulled you from the not pick pile. I made sure. <laughs> I found that funny too. I made sure you weren't even given an invitation to be picked as king, and I made sure that you were present. You remember that story? David wasn't even there. And God's like, nope, we're missing one. God made sure that David was there to be anointed king. It had nothing to do with David. He was out watching sheep. Additionally, I think. God is stirring up this forever faith in David. He's reminding him it doesn't depend on him. He's, he's stirring up this forever faith. He's telling him that, that my life, my hand has been on your life from the beginning. God has a plan. God has communicated a plan. This is a man who was committed, uh, who, who committed murder to hide adultery, right? And this is what I love about David's story. Because God still used him. God knew that he was going to do that, by the way. I, that blows my mind. But... 
God still uses broken people for his, his purposes. Because it was through the line of David that we get Jesus. It was through the line of David that we get the Messiah. So God used him, the imperfect man, for his perfect plan. The Bible's full of not-so-great people who accomplished mighty, kingdom-building tasks. And their part, what, what part did they play? Believing in God's plan. Faith. Forever faith. They had forever faith. If we have access, direct access to him, we can go right through that way, right through the truth, and right into the author of life because of the blood of Jesus that covers us. We have direct access. But to receive that access, to truly receive that access, a transformation must take place inside of our inner man. Inner woman too. Same thing. But it must take place inside of us, and that's done by His Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives us faith. He's the one who increases our faith. God used a lot of messed up people to do some great things, like David, like Abraham, and we have His Holy Spirit. That changes everything. That changes everything. We have His Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of us. Brothers and sisters, that's powerful. So why, again, why is David reminding him of this? I believe God is, is, is reminding him of where he came from, that it was all God that brought him here. And he's also reminding him that you need to make sure your heart's in the right position. It's, it's good to have a little humility here. And I've had my fair share of um, humbling times. And God has been gracious to me as well. And I can look back and see all the things that God has, has brought me through, the, the sanctification process. This is after being a believer. Even some of the things that I was doing a year ago, two years ago, I'm like, wow, thank you, God, for being so gracious with me. It's very humbling. You know, one of the prayers I say when I'm, when I'm talking to somebody, in fact, I was with a man that we were helping this week, and I think some of you were there. I had no idea what to pray. And sometimes when I find myself, I don't know what to pray. I pray this simple prayer. I say, God, be the loudest voice in their head. Because God can say it a lot better than I can. And so me just acknowledging that, I think helps, I know does, it helps their situation more than anything I could ever say. More than anything I could ever say. Sorry, skipped a page. <clears throat> so humility is required. This is what God is, is reminding him of these stories because he needs to be humbled just a little bit. Micah 6.8 tells us that humility is required, justice is required, and loving kindness. Those are the th three things that, that God requires from man. So reminding ourselves of, of his testimony, reminding ourselves of his testimony in our lives in others, others' lives, the, the testimonies that we've heard about God and how good he is, that, that should bring strength in times of trial. Meditating on his testimonies clears the mind of distraction and anxiety. In fact, did you know that it's impossible to be thankful and anxious at the same time? Scientifically, impossible to be thankful and anxious at the same time. So here's my challenge to you today. The next time you find yourself just a little anxious, maybe wrapped up in a, an anxiety blanket, remind yourself of God's goodness. Remind yourself of his testimonies, how you've gotten here. Remind yourself it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. That will help you in your time of anxiety. Let's quickly finish up 
David's response, or God's response to David, which brings us to the third point, is, is God's plan includes all of us. He says in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, it says, And I will make a name for you, or I will make, make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. At the end of, the, of verse 10, he says, The Lord will build a house. The Lord will build a house. Now, this is talking about the spiritual house. The Lord will build a house. And in verse 12, let's read verse 12. Uh, he defines that house. He says, He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. So now we know we're not talking about King David or any of his sons. These are human beings. They're not going to live forever in this existence. What he's talking about is the forever faith, the forever kingdom that he's talking about. So God is using David in his plan as he continues to build his temple. And that's good news for us. That's good news for us because the, the eternal plan that God has doesn't depend on fickle humans, right? It doesn't depend on my strength. It depends on God. And that's good news for all of us. As I ask the uh, worship team to come up here um, as, we, as we close out today, I want to remind you that the, the tabernacle that was up here, that didn't just go away. That whole concept didn't just go away. This, this is a, a picture of something that takes place inside of us, right? It's a picture, it really is a picture, if you think about it, of salvation. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is what we're all called to do. Those of you who have, have made a decision to follow the way, the truth, and the life, you've walked by the altar recognizing that there was sacrifice made for you, for you to have communion with the Almighty. I think we all need to be reminded of that again today. Let us walk out of here today understanding that it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on, on my performance. God requires humility. God requires obedience. But it doesn't require a performance. As we trust in the Lord, God has a plan. He's communicated that plan to us. And he wants to use us in that plan. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.